Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, Rosin That Guitar. Speak Hopelandic to me. You thought I was a girl. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Or should I say, Gunschnagedaga. <laughs> My name's Doug Cooper, and I'm hosting tonight. I'm joined by T. Hi, Doug. How are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Hello, podcasters. You're in for a treat this evening. This is our first experimental podcast. <laughs> I'm also joined by Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Good evening, tapsters. And tonight is Jonathan's fault. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me tell you a little bit about what's happening. Uh, we are going to be talking about... A nineteen nope two thousand five <laughs> two thousand five I'm sorry this is Doug so it's hard for me to say two thousand <laughs> two thousand five release of an Icelandic album by Sigurus and we are going to be mispronouncing people's names and the names of songs all evening. Do you want to mispronounce <laughs> the name of the album for everybody? I thought I just did. No, you said no. the name of the band. You didn't say the name of the album. Oh. Uh, talk. 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 T-A-K-K. Mm-hmm. Talk. It's a very popular album as far as this kind of music goes. Uh, the surprising thing is this is the kind of music you'd expect not to sell. And these guys have sold over 2 million albums, I believe. So um, I don't know how. I say this is experimental. But I don't know how. Um we're going to talk about this album. <laughs> it's it's going to be difficult, yeah. There's quite a bit about it that we... Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and start. There's a place in the panhandle of Texas called the Lana Estacado. And that's because when Coronado was up there, everything was so flat and so bare that there were no landmarks. So he had to drive stakes into the ground to make sure they wouldn't go into a circle. Uh, when I'm trying to get my head around this album, I felt the same way. There were no landmarks for me. I didn't know what song I was on. There was, uh, it was a very difficult album to, it's not a hard album to like. It's a hard album to uh, get your head around. Right. So I'm going to 
we always start with the same question. So I'm going to go to Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Uh, Jonathan? Yep. Were you trying to pick up hot Icelandic girls or <laughs> trying to get some kind of gig with NPR? <laughs> uh, I think he's or actually asking, why did I pick this album and why do I think our listeners uh, should uh, maybe give it a listen. The reason is simply put the one word to describe this album is beauty to me. Uh, but not in this mournful, uh, in a mournful way. I mean, Joni Mitchell has a quote that, uh, she says that she writes sad songs, not because she's sad. It's because sad songs are beautiful. And I think it's really hard to get away from writing a beautiful song without somehow putting in a bit of, of sadness. But to me, this album is not, there's, there's nothing mournful about it. There it's, um, it, it's, it's, um, it's like this album is beautiful without being sad. It's like watching suns, uh, the sun breaking through the, the clouds or, over and over <laughs> or a sunset or, you know, flowers blooming and fast me. I see those movies of, of, of flowers blooming in fast motion and stuff. I mean, to me, this is just, absolute beauty um and uh, i and we also know i mean of, of the three of us i'm the one who's just a, i'm more of a sucker for atmospheric textured kind of music uh not so much the new age stuff but i do like music that's kind of droney and uh has string arrangements and and stuff and so um i, and I do seem to be drawn to these kind of post-punk bands like Mogwai, I think is one name, um, Explosions in the Sky, Stereo Lab. Um, these are people that are, are bands that I've always, you know, uh, had an affinity for. Uh, so, and, um, you know, and the band that's kind of cited as the progenitors of post-punk or post-rock is uh, the Velvet Underground. Uh, okay, hold on a second. I got to stop you with what? this concept of post rock. I don't get. I don't understand what that means. I didn't really I, understand I, it I, either. But I, I think it's really sophisticated. I understand <laughs> what post punk means. Post punk makes sense to me because it's the music that came after that initial explosion that's influenced by all of that stuff, but kind of takes it beyond that in a way. I, this, this to me, and I just, just give me a sec because. You, you talked about, you know, watching flowers bloom and stuff. And it reminds me of when I was, a, I had a roommate, uh, Matt Sturdivant in, in college, and he was a big Philip Glass fan. And he was a big fan of this movie called Koyana Scotsy, which is uh -huh. just um, like time-lapse footage played to, or played over, or, or filmed over a, a Philip Glass soundtrack. Yeah. Um, so, the reason I bring that up is because, is Philip Glass post-rock? I mean, this sounds, this seems to me, well, this, is, this is like ambient music and it seems like it would fit in with what he does. So that, that term post-rock is just difficult for me to get because that means <clears> it's, <throat> it's after rock. 
And, and I don't know what that means. So, Tony, I kind of had the same question when, you know, what does po- uh, post rock mean? And I, a lot of it is uh, kind of, you, you, you might be onto something with the Philip Glass. I mean, Philip Glass actually played, play, didn't he play like CBGBs and, and stuff like that when it, they were it first starting su- out? It wouldn't and surprise I mean, me if he did. I don't yeah, know that for a fact. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's not minimalistic in the sense that it's a, a, a sophisticated music movement. I mean, minimalism has, it's played by real musicians that actually know what they're doing. Post Steve Reich. Yeah. Steve Reich would be somebody. Philip Glass. Yeah. And a guy named Brian Eno. He's put in that category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brian Eno, I guess you could kind of put in the post rock. You could put area. him in many categories. Yeah. I, I just, but the, it, the, the kind of the, the thread that goes through it is guitars aren't necessarily used in the same way that they are in rock, they're more they're used more for texture, and but you still have the driving beats, you still have the drums, you still have the bass doing the, the you can still hear hear those kind of thudding, um, you know, four eighth note bass playing stuff going on. You can still have the drums kind of rocking out. You still have pianos, but even pianos are like chords aren't necessarily the point key you know chord changes and just a, a, a normal song structure aren't isn't really the point but still you're playing the instruments that are a rock that a rock band plays you're just so playing them in different ways would frog hat be an example <laughs> i don't think he thought <laughs> so I, I i just i want to i want to go back to this again because uh i have been accused by a listener or two of being a bit closed-minded and 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 you know, to put it bluntly, a jackass when it comes to some of this stuff. <laughs> I I don't. Dis- Did he say or two? <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get on record as saying I don't dislike what we listen to with this album. Um, but it is beyond my limited music vo- musical vocabulary. I don't I don't know what to do with this uh, with this music. I I I, I, I want to. I want to validate a point you made, though. In listening to it, there is something it does evoke, sort of a visual, weird, weird way. It evokes kind of a visual thing in your head yeah. when you hear the songs. You can hear, you can close your eyes, and the, it's like the musical equivalent hear. of watching the sunrise or something. It's very strange that it does that. Yeah. Well, but. it uses several tools. It it's the same as a sunrise in that it starts soft and small and grows and then there's a crescendo and then there's a not only does the sun rise at one point at supernovas but <laughs> the other thing that they do that's funny is if there are lyrics they're not going to interfere with your picture in your head because they're not suggesting anything to the listener they're, that they're, only speaks yeah. english well yeah. but they're also not Technically Icelandic. Yeah, either. sometimes well, it's sometimes not they are. Sometimes, sometimes they are. Sometimes they are. They are. So they're almost another textual component to what they're doing. Yeah. You know, it it would be really easy for someone like me to dismiss this band as being pretentious, and I do think there are things they do that seem that seem like they've done them just to kind of get under people's skin. Um, and I don't know if that I, I don't want to comment on whether it is or is not art when that happens, but. I also think that, that that for someone like me that dismisses the context of where this band comes from, I'm thinking of music in terms of American music, music from the UK, 
This band is from Iceland. Yeah, well, I got a question for you about that. Okay. Did you know Iceland was a real place before you started working on this? <laughs> I did. But we're talking about a country with the population the third the size of the city we live in. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to have an app. If you're going if you're going to a bar to meet up with a girl, they have, there's an app that will actually tell you how closely you are related. Like you might be trying to pick up your second cousin. Well, they have that in Arkansas too. <laughs> so we're not we're not ta- we're not necessarily saying they're Arkansas. they're not they're not like uh it's not a desert island where they're not hearing popular music, right? But it their their sort of artistic form or their desire to make music is is grounded in this place of just giant spaces, yeah, and lots and lots of it, and uh, the space between people and places as well, right? So uh, it. I, I just I don't want to ignore that fact because I think it's valuable to what this band is trying to do with their music mm-hmm. it, because it is very again this I'm going to sound pretentious it's very spatial in what they're doing it, their their music fills big well spaces. they're also not surrounded by the environments that the people we've talked about have been surrounded that's by. true yeah they're they're not at CBGBs right they're right. not uh, in the clubs in London right. They're not out in the West Coast at yeah. the Troubadour. So they, they're they coming from it. It's almost like they're on an island. And uh, it's, it's like those animals that evolve, like giant marsupials in uh, Australia because there's no other predators or giant tortoises or Galapagos. They're evolving away from right. all that stuff. It, and, and now that you're saying that, Doug, it, it, maybe I'm starting to understand the use, even though I think it's a goofy term, the use of post-rock, because it's reminding me of a band called The Shags. Oh, the rich people want what the poor people's got, and the poor people want what the rich people's got, and the skinny people want what the fat people's got, and the fat people want what the skinny people's got. Bear yeah, with, bear yeah. with, bear okay, with me on that. If you know the Shags, the yeah. Shags are this band, this group of sisters who, their dad decided he wanted them to be a rock star, rock stars, and he gave them instruments, told them to practice. They had no musical training, and what they did was come up with what they thought music sounded like. So it's very primitive sounding, and it's not, it's not attract. Unlike this music, it's not attractive to listen to. But no. there is something. Absolutely- the name's attractive. <laughs> <laughs> There's something absolutely compelling to listening to the Shags. It's not beautiful music. I wouldn't even say, Zappa one time said they were better than Beatles, but that's just him yeah, trying to get yeah. dig at people. But it, what you're saying seems very similar to to this in the sense that I think, um, you know, their, their, their influences are, are so kind of outside of the scope of what we understand from everything we've talked about. Yeah. Also, uh, has anyone figured out why we're experts? Not at all. <laughs> Okay. I think we're not experts tonight, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> well, one thing that's similar to when we were talking about the Grateful Dead. One band that, that it, yeah. Why is that? Yeah. Why the right of Grateful Dead? I no, know. I'm, I'm talking about a band that a lot of people are oh, crazy about, and I have no business talking about well, it. Well, uh, I, I will say, and this is going to be dismissive. A lot of the people that are crazy about them, about Sigurus, if I'm saying that right, are critics mm-hmm. and yeah. i and i don't i don't hold i don't hold a lot of them i think are people who say and yet <laughs> uh, but 
Okay. Another, you're, you're talking about, you know, it, there's Iceland is, you know, expanse and not a whole lot of there. I guess Reykjavik is the city, but other than that, it's just, you know, lava fields and ice and, but it, 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 I bet we sound ridiculous to people that live there. <laughs> I bet we do too. It's just like Texas is nothing yeah. but deserts. Well, that's and a cow, and yeah, cows, horses, and guys, and hats. And well, I mean, but they, they kind of bar. and they but, think we have. Uh, but if you see the Icelandic Tourist Bureau, what they're they're always they're not selling Reykjavik. They're always mm-hmm. selling. Hey, go see this massive waterfall falling over this, and come see the the lava coming into the ice and and seeing these lava fields and stuff. So that's yes, that's my you know, it's like. Uh, flat Middle Earth, but um, <laughs> I wish everybody could see what Doug, Doug's face just looked like. But you know, another band that is they get compared to, and another post rock uh, band is uh, Explosions in the Sky. explosions in the sky from midland the sky midland texas midland texas and you talk about they've got kind of the same sort of expanse sort of you talk about being out on an island i mean that's there's not a if you've ever driven to midland texas there is not a whole lot on either you know within 200 300 miles of it you got the all sups and you got <laughs> I mean, I think you're you're closer to how many state capitals than you are to Austin out in Midland. You know, it's it, it's a um, so it, it it I do it's and I, I get kind of the same feeling when I listen to Explosions in the Sky that I do with with this band, except I with Cigarus I'm seeing like uh, sunsets over ice, and then when I'm listening to Explosions in the Sky, I'm seeing sunsets. You know, dusty sunsets and on, on the and pumping units and, and pumping every unit. every seventy five feet. Yeah, but thanks to fracking, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right, we're supposed to hate that. Um, anyway, um, I, I, this band. I'm just fascinated by this band, and I'm fascinated by the whole post post rock movement. Can can we can can I ask a favor? Yeah. Can we not use that term anymore tonight? Can we call it something else? We'll After something. rock, I, it just it. <laughs> I, I mean, it I just, sounds too pretentious. To it, I don't. I still don't know what it means. It's a weird concept to me that we're listening to a band that is charted on the rock charts that is post rock. I just don't. I don't understand it. But some of it, I, I think there's an argument to make it's pre rock. It sounds like music that came before rock and roll. A long time before rock and roll, huh. five hundred years before rock and roll. <laughs> well, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I get what you're saying, Jam. The idea that we're talking about the traditional instruments of rock being used mm-hmm. in a different way, because I believe the cello bow used on the guitar and the yeah. bass, I guess sometimes yeah. too. Right? If uh, you if you switched out all the instruments and the weird voices and replaced it with traditional voices, it sounds like uh, polyphonic music right. from uh, the Middle Ages, right. Right. yeah, yeah, and that part I find very uh, appealing. So, 
There's yeah. a lot about this that's appealing. Yeah. Uh, I'm like Tony, though. I don't know what to do with it. Uh, it I, I would say this. I could put this in my category with uh, music for airports and some of my other sure. albums that I use when I'm studying. Except the drums always come in and start wrecking the house, you know, <laughs> at the last third of the song. So I can't use it for that. Yeah. yeah. But it's my, compelling. Yeah. I, I, again, I, I uh, found myself oddly uh, compelling, I guess is the right word, oddly enjoying this. I didn't think I would. I thought yeah. I was going to have to sit here and, and try not to say things to be a you know, piss off the so listeners. You, had, you, <laughs> um, you thought you were going to have to use your fake personality more yeah. than usual. But I found myself liking it. But I will say that, and, I, and I'm not saying this as, to, as, a, as a dig, this is the truth. If I was playing this and walked away and came back and the album had skipped three songs, I don't know if I would have known that it had skipped three songs. That's, yeah, that's what you, I was you, getting you, at with my Lano Estacada. Yeah. Um, you're not getting a lot of variety on this. You don't say, oh, this is that shuffle. Right. Or this is the one about the girl that he met. Right. You, yeah. you have no landmarks. Right. And I'm, that's not to say that the tunes are the same or anything like that. It's just. The structure is, I mean, they don't have traditional song structure, but they do a, have a structure. There's a lot of quiet fade-ins at the beginning that end yeah. so with giant crescendos. The songs are not the same, but there is a sameness going through right. the album. Yeah, yeah. And. Yeah, I could see why that, how that could get old, but this was a pretty relatively popular album. And I think it's pretty safe to say they're the most popular band to come out of Iceland since the Sugar Cubes. I don't know. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I don't think, or maybe but we're also we're also talking about just to put things in context because the music industry changed so much. We're also talking about a time where if somebody sells any number of units, they're considered successful. Whereas you know, 15 years earlier, that wouldn't have even been. I think they. they I think this album went platinum eventually. I know the the first album, their first album, initially within when it was released, within a year of its release, it only sold 300 copies. It eventually went platinum too. Well, it eventually went gold in Iceland, but gold in Iceland is how many? There you how go. Many that's got, that's my that's my point. Yeah, gold in Iceland is what three thousand or something? Five thousand. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. that's not listen. That's not to knock it. I mean, it's there's something to be said about this music being right. uh, compelling and that people want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know that Doug we're gold are, in Iceland. <laughs> Have we ever had our listener from Iceland? No. I don't know. Maybe don't now. So. Hey, we will. Hey, we had, we've had fin- <laughs> we've had fin- I don't not to compare them, but we've had Finland, Sweden. Yeah. In fact, we're very popular in Sweden. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think we had help there. And we appreciate that very much. Who's in this band, Jim? Well, the main guy is this guy named Jan Por Birgensen. Uh he goes by the name Jansi. Um Kind of an interesting guy. He was uh, born in 1975, and um, that's when it, you stopped listening to music. Don't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is the. Uh, that's when the dip started. Yeah, he didn't really start playing guitar until he was 13. What was this? The first song he learned on guitar. Jam? It was some Iron Maiden song. Wrathchild by Iron Maiden. <laughs> 
I, uh, I do love Iron, that about him. And Iron Maiden continues to be one of his favorite bands right now. Good for in him. The world. He's yeah, got some good taste. They should uh, team up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Uh, he played, and pretty soon after he started playing guitar, he started trying to, to um, form different bands. And um, I guess they got some of the bands that he was in, I guess, were popular in wherever he was. Yeah, he won, he won a, uh, his the band, uh, the B-Spiders, won uh, the Most Interesting Band Award in 1995. Yeah, he kind of did some odd things, I think, as well on stage. But um, he's always been kind of drawn to... Uh, Visuals, and if you see their concerts, they're they're not over the top with effects and stuff, but they're very well. The, the lighting is always done pretty, uh, is always interesting. And the stage shows are always interesting as well, but they're not over the top. He was also in a grunge band. Is that right? Called Stoned. Perfect name for a grunge band. <laughs> yeah. So he, I mean, obviously, this guy wanted to do something musically. Um, yeah. He he plays keyboards also. He plays a lot of different instruments. Yeah. He's a, yeah. Mainly he's the guitarist on the singer. And he plays yeah. a guitar like a cello. Right. I, yeah. I, I don't know if that was initial, though. I think it wasn't. He didn't second, start off that way. The second or third album is yeah. when they started. So that's one I've, of the, I've seen him play uh, finger-picking quite ably. Yeah. Um, he is a, I mean, he's a phenomenal... I mean, he, he, he's a very interesting musician. He, he, he plays... I've seen him play piano and uh, keyboards and glockenspiel and... Um, he, he, is that the he, name of one of these songs, Glockenspiel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number, track number three. <laughs> Have you seen them live? I've seen them live twice. Okay. And uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. And the first time I saw him was about 10 years ago. And he had like a full, or, I wouldn't say a full orchestra with him. But was he it had, just him? No, it was... Uh, was it Sigur Rós? It was Sigur Rós. However you say that. Yeah. How do you... Let's, how do we... Can we agree on how you say that? I think it's Sigur Rós. Sigur well, Rós. I don't know if y'all know this, but that wasn't their original name. I did not know that. I didn't know that either. They went through a bunch of names, and they were close, but no cigar. <laughs> no cigar. I blew it. <laughs> no cigar. Um, no cigar. <laughs> so they're, na- they're named after his sister, right? Yeah. She was born right after the band formed. And yeah. Her, and, and her name is one word. Vaughn? Is that? It? No, no, it's not right. That's no, not her, right. Na- her name is, is Sigaros, but it's one word, and then they just broke it up. Does and, that mean Victory Rose? Well, yeah, not grammatically, though, but it translates to Victory Rose. But it is that right? Yeah, right. but it's not grammatically correct. But who was the initial guys in the band? Well, it's kind of... In, so there's this other guy named York Holm. Other guy. The, the an original drummer was... August Evar Gunnarsson. How do you say that middle name? Evar? You're better than me. Evar. Havar. Evar. I think. So they were a trio initially, right? Yeah. Until their second album? Second album, they they became... But they're... So they're... Yeah, they're initially... (laughs) You see how you skipped the second guy? (laughs) Skip what instrument he played? The bass. The bass, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, he's multi-instrumental too, though. I think he plays... Yeah, he plays a lot of stuff. Yeah. Um, The triangle. (laughs) He's back with them. So he left the band. He at least continues the triangle. Yeah. (laughs) Um... So they their first album was uh, he recorded in I believe 1994. So the band started in 1994. That's right, and then they uh, became popular and uh, in Iceland, and they were set to record an album, 
and they actually went into the studio and recorded it and they didn't like it. They didn't like the way that it sounded, but if you, it, they, so they changed up some stuff, but if you listen to there's, there's a song, uh, if you hear it, it's, it kind of gives you an idea of what they were originally, what they originally sounded like. So they got an initial, um, they got fronted some money to make the album, but they didn't like it. So they wanted to go back and uh, redo some parts and kind of add some more effects and stuff to the to the album. And if you listen to it, the album does sound like they just started adding stuff to on top of their... Well, it took them two years to, to yeah. between they starting and then actually releasing it, right? Yeah, and during that time, they ran out of money. So the studio said, well, if you guys repaint... They repainted the studio. <laughs> you repaint the studio, we'll, we'll so, let you make finish the album. Go, going to the thing about not wanting to call this band pretentious, when reading about that first album, which I did in research, um, the sixth track is 18 seconds of silence. Yeah. I mean, that, that's goofy to me. I'm sorry. I'm just going to pull, I'm just going <laughs> to say that up front. Well, then they, so they, silence can say so much, Tony. Can it? Yes. Yeah. It um, says, nothing like nothing can and so the album cover they're kind of famous also for their album covers they're very odd they're very odd and that that picture at the front of their first album is uh yonsi's baby sister oh really yeah (laughs) doing what i don't know how they got it to do make that but somehow they just took her picture and and morphed it and turned it into almost scary did you know before they went in the studio to record in the first album was called vaughn i believe right yeah vaughn they uh, they actually had a deal with uh, the Sugar Cubes label called Bad, oh, right? Bad Taste. And the reason why they were signed was the, the, whoever was in charge of that label, I don't know if it was the band or not, thought that uh, the falsetto vocals would were cute and would appeal to the teenage girls. <laughs> <laughs> Which is obviously not what they want to do. Although that, that song we just played is, is structurally... That sounds like, like something song. you could hear at a place where people are dancing real yeah. slow, thinking they're cool and posing yeah. for each other. Yeah. They, uh, you know, Jam gave this album to me a long time ago. Do you remember when that was, Jam? Yeah, it was right after it came out, I think. Yeah. Okay. So I spent a long time thinking they had a girl in this band. Uh. <laughs> and um, I don't remember when I learned it made it so much easier to listen to once i knew that wasn't a girl <laughs> is is that an affectation or is that just the way he sings i mean is he intentionally trying to sing in that i watched a voice coach talking about it and sometimes it's falsetto mm-hmm. sometimes it's not yeah contra he's what is he contra tenor is what yeah contra tenor okay. is what she said it's yeah. not unappealing no yeah it's yeah it's it's very interesting and this album doesn't have his best vocal performance. I've I've heard him play uh, with just strings behind him, mm-hmm. and none of the cacophony that, that this album has in yeah. abundance. And his voice, it sounds like some. 
it's it's like a classical performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his his voice sounds a lot like those boys. Yeah, that that sing in choirs before right. they go yeah. through puberty. Um, but it's very it's very compelling. That's one of the compelling things about this record. Yeah. So. What, or all their records. What happens between? I'm sort of. I apologize. I'm taking over the hosting duties. I don't mean that's to do okay. That I'm so secure. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what happens between the first album and the second album? Um, they become more popular. They they get they kind of break out and they they are in Europe. And so their second album, uh, they got a little bit more, I guess, ex- experimental. They, oh, and they added a keyboardist, which was uh, yeah. Good yeah. luck saying his name. <laughs> Jarton Svensson, I think. Uh, Jarton Svensson. Yeah. Yeah. Only ba- Too many only, vowels in a row. Only person in I the mean, band with, with musical training, by the way. Yeah. He could do string arrangements, so they actually started um, experimenting with strings, and uh, because he also added some more synthesizers and just more kind of textures in it. Um, one of the songs... What, it, what's the name of the second album, Jam? A... Augustus Buren. Augustus okay. Buren. Too. It's weird because the, the the two songs we've played so far sound like tunes to me. Like there's a structure yes, yeah. to them that, yeah. that is, is is absent for the most part from the album we're talking about. Tonight. And there's some space. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, or at least that one. Well, I mean that that album is a little bit more. I mean, again, so you can see their evolution where they're coming, where the arrangements are getting more sophisticated, the instrumentation is getting larger. Um, they're using uh, synthesizers in different ways. So. I, I have a connection. If you can believe it, I have a connection. Well, we have to hear that beautiful song. All right, babies, we're back in the USA. Um. So the, this this was the album. The second album was the album, I believe, that Ken Thomas started producing them. I don't think he produced their first album, but he pr- produces their second album up through maybe past the one we're talking about. But he definitely produced Talk as well. Anybody know what the connection to Ken Thomas is? I can't say that I do. Well, he was an engineer uh, for Trident Studios. Do you remember who we talked about that was on Trident? David Bowie. And Queen. Queen, yeah. He engineered right. those. Was that New York? No. Where's Trident? It's in the it's UK. In, it's in the UK, yeah. So he engineered those early Four Queen albums. Five, I swear they were filmed part of, uh, of uh, Get Back. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then he also produced, now it wasn't the album we did, but he produced A Farewell to Kings, or I'm sorry, engineered A Farewell to Kings by Rush. So it's a dubious connection, but it was one, it was the only one I could find. And, uh, yeah. And the reason he got involved with, uh, Sugar Roos was he, the sugar cubes guitarist, 
uh, however you say his name, <laughs> played him their debut album, and he uh, went and like essentially begged the band to. He said, "I I I gotta be involved in this." So. Huh. Cool. How did these guys never bump into Brian Eno? I'm not sure they haven't, but I'm sure they have. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's the second opportunity you've given given Jam to talk about Brian Eno tonight. Well, I'm gonna. I've, I've got. <laughs> You should see the look on his face. It's like Mr. Burns. <laughs> there is. Um, There's no need for so an opportunity. Just, just, uh, I'm guessing you're going to slide into the third album. But yeah. before you do that, so the other thing that happens, uh, it seems like that, uh, like every album, there needs to be a personnel change. They lose their original drummer. Yeah. And they get a new drummer by the name of... Ori Dyerson. Yeah, Ori Ori Dryonson on drums. And he is the... And so now we've got the band that we're going to be talking about moving into um, moving into the album we're talking about tonight. So, sorry, Jim, yeah. for that. So, this al- so the third album uh, is known... It, it, it's not... It, it's the Bracket album, is what they call it. <laughs> it because it, it, it's kind of like Prince was a symbol for a little while. There is no actual name of this album, but on the front of it are two brackets. <laughs> and it's it's very strange in that none of the songs have titles. They're all basically uh, untitled. They're, they're titled Untitled One, uh, and they all have names that I, don't have anything to do with the song. I have I have a quote from the band about this. Uh, I, I think it's Yonzi saying this. He said, we didn't want to put titles on the record just because they're supposed to be titles on the record. <laughs> Besides, when I refer to my songs to my friends, I always say, check out track five or whatever. Yeah. It's pretty fun confusing people with having no titles on the album. The listener just names a song based on what he or she hears. Yeah. Have their own names for songs, but we probably we have our own names for songs, but we probably interpret them in a different way than other people. I think one of the things the album did as well is it had a blank album sleeve in it, and the band encouraged the listener to write their own lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so, this is another thing that's unusual about this album is the lyrics are uh, written in Hoplandic. Uh huh. Which, what, what is that, James? That is a made-up language by Yonsi. <laughs> so it's basically, yeah, it's an album. He, he's singing, but it's kind of... Uh, G- gibberish. Gibberish. He, are they Pentecostal? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking well, you know, there's a, there, there's a precedent for this. I mean, um, the Cocteau Twins did that. She never actually sang real lyrics. They, she kind of just made up her own uh, words that she was saying. And, you know, Michael Stipe. twins always like come that. up with their own language. Uh, yeah. And I, I would, I, I'd hazard to guess anybody listening to Trout Mask Replica, would be, have, have trouble deciphering those <laughs> lyrics to mean anything. There seem, just seems to be words strewn together. Yeah. So the, the band, um, they get Ori Powell Diverson, who's also not just a drummer. And I've seen him. He, I've played with them before. He plays a you lot. played of, with them? Yeah, he played with the last time I saw him. He, oh, they did a game of go fish. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's a but he's plays a lot more than just drums. He plays a lot of different instruments, and um, in fact, he plays. When I saw him, he was playing brass. He was playing keyboards. He was playing uh, all sorts of stuff. But he, it, it seems like this band would encourage anybody to just pick up whatever the hell's lying around and give it a go. <laughs> yeah, I, even I mean, the, I mean the drum. Like when I at one point all. The keyboardist was playing guitar. The drummer was playing glockenspiel. The 
uh, bass player was playing piano and uh, Yonsi was playing uh, Celeste or keyboard or some sort of weird keyboard instrument. So it's it, these guys, they're, they're all phenomenal musicians. But um, yeah, but this album was uh, a little bit, you're going in the direction that that talk is going into. So the album sounds a little bit more atmospheric than some of the other albums that they've uh, produced. Considering Iceland, I think, what is it, a, a poll, and I don't know how scientific this poll was, some poll recently showed that 60% of the population believes that elves are real. Am right, I right? Is Rush big there? <laughs> so, so, but this, you're so pleased with yourself, aren't you? <laughs> but this, was, this album got uh, a lot more exposure throughout Europe. It became, and I believe it's sold more here in the United States than, it, so, than talk has. So. Well, and you're right. This is now we're losing this, the any semblance of a traditional song structure. Right, right. And the, the songs are becoming much more like pieces rather than actual, you know, with maybe tone poems, I guess, to, to use a uh, classical term. Um, it, they're becoming much more uh, where the vocals just kind of come in when they want to. There's no like absolute... Uh, there's no, like you said, there's no song structure. There's no verse. There's no chorus. The tone and the atmosphere is more important than the actual um, song itself, I guess. So, but everybody, yeah, the the bass is playing uh, using a bow, using an e, like they're using all sorts of different uh, techniques on their guitars and and the bass itself. So, and the drums are much more echoey and. Um, again, use it more for texture than for actual rhythm. And that was the third album? That was the third album. Third album called hmm. Untitled <laughs> Parentheses Bracket. The Bracket Album. And there's actually, a, a it's been re-released so, so. recently. Yeah. So. And that brings us to tonight's record. Yeah. Which they, I, I don't know the story of this, but this is the first album of theirs that's on an actual big label. Right. Uh, this is they and get it picked came up. to found an American label. It did. EMI, Geffen. Oh, this is a, I, I have this the first album on EMI, but I think it's both. I believe you're right. I think it is both. Uh, EMI in the UK and Geffen in the states. Yeah, Geffen US, EMI that other place. And this album actually got some. <laughs> uh, it got a little traction. It was. Excuse me. It came in number twenty-seven on the Billboard two hundred, selling thirty thousand copies in its first week in the United States. So, uh, how does that happen? I don't know. Uh, I guess they just got thirty thousand people listen to NPR. <laughs> and yet, I have a question for you, JM. Sure. In reading about this, you're always the technical guy we go to, right? In mm-hmm. reading about this album, um, the producer um, Ken Thomas says that that the centerpiece, like what they used to get the sound they wanted 
was an old Nev console obtained oh, from wow. a friend's TV station. So okay, he talked about it just compressing the hell out of everything. Well, yeah. So that the, the Nev consoles were <clears throat> Neve, very sorry. were very sought after. Um, it, a lot of albums in the seventies were done with that. They were probably the premier console. It's known for just its its compression, and it's just supposed to make things. This sound is amazing. what he said. He said. It got it's it's got compressors on every channel, and according to the producer, it makes it sound harsh, just like that old Beatles stuff. That's what Ken <laughs> Thomas said. Harsh. So yeah, I didn't know old Beatles stuff sounded harsh. I, I guess maybe you're in, in terms of everything being at the same level. I don't know. Well, yeah, compression tends to bring everything up to the same. You mean yeah? yeah. So maybe that's what he meant. It makes it sound yeah. crowded to me. Maybe yeah. that's what he meant. Yeah. Although I don't get that from early Beatles stuff either. But um, another thing about this, this album, um, you hear it pieces of it on in different uh, contexts. Like I've heard it in um, like. BBC, when I'm listening to BBC on the planet Earth. Uh, yeah, is that it was usually? played there. Was it played on planet? Yeah, Earth? it was the Wimbledon Championship in 2006. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> mm-hmm. Formula One season. Yeah, in 2009. Um, we bought a zoo. I think is where it was. Uh, a lot of the so yeah that that movie with Matt Damon and Scarlett Johansson. Yeah, it's in it. Um, so yeah, th- this album is again because it's not there's no real song structure or anything. It's, it lends itself to being used as sort of like pieces for, um, you know, and they can use it to evoke right. uh, a wide range of emotions. I, I remembered listening uh, while I was on a walk, and I had the sunrise thing. Oh, this is the sun. Then I had the one one time I was walking through a battle ground after the battle that was not one of the happier pieces <laughs> but it's perfect for soundtracks um <laughs> well here's what i didn't realize it was on until just now it's you ever seen the eurovision song quest with uh rachel adams and uh will will, will ferrell? ferrell it's at the end of that as well that's used <laughs> well i i understand the uh, People wanting to use it for that. Yeah. It is very much like a, a, a soundtrack from a film. It really is, very much. Um, well, do you want to take, tell us about that first song, yeah? All right. So the first song is Talk or Thanks. So they say talk when they mean thanks. Mm-hmm. So that's good to know because we're probably going to get a lot of emails. To say talk for talking about this album? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's uh, an instrumental track. Um, and it's not very long, but it does introduce the... the you kind of get the idea of what this album is going to sound like from that. It was kind of shimmering beginnings. and That sure reminds me of someone you know very well, Jerry. Brian Eno. Yeah, I can see that. Well, and, and, I, and this was the one song. I mean, there were several, but this song in particular sounds like, it sounds so pretentious. It's like the musical equivalent of the dawn. Like it yeah. is, you could just see if the, if the, I think it was you that said that, 
um, on one of the podcasts that something about um, people who are born deaf are surprised that the sun doesn't make a noise. <laughs> yeah. If it did, coming, it sounds, <laughs> to me, it would be something like this. Yeah, it's got that angelic sound. Um, I that's, I think, almost a, a large number of ambient albums have that uh, because what they start out with something simple and then it's layered and layered and yeah. layered. I don't, it's hard for them not to get that sound of uh, ascension. Right. Yeah. Um, Someone needs to start with all the stuff at once and gradually take it away. Well, the, the <laughs> thing, the thing about that though, is um, there's ambient music and then there's ambient music. And this is not, well, it's, there's not a whole lot of variety in this particular short track. It's what a, a little under two minutes. Yeah, it's not droney to me. It's, no, it's not. And and it's got the um, that bass coming in. Uh, I guess it's bowed because it doesn't. It doesn't sound like it's being picked. But I just love how I, I, another thing about this album is. There are sounds on it that I don't understand how they made. I mean, I know that they're you can make synthesizers make any sound that you want to, but I just don't understand. Like, how did you say, well, I want this shimmering sounding beginning to come in? And it's like nothing I'd ever heard before. I mean, there are sounds on this album like that I've never heard before. And that's one of the things that intrigues me so much about it. And it starts off that way. I mean, it grabs you immediately. It doesn't sound, this song does not sound like a lot of other kind of ambient starting songs and it's got some crackly stuff going on in it that I don't understand, but very the, interesting. The beginning of it reminds me a lot of uh, an ending. Yeah. By, by Eno. By Eno. It, it, it surprised me how much it reminded me of that. Yeah. But it doesn't stay there. No. And it's short and it goes into the big hit. Yeah. And it starts off, it's got those that little like uh, radar sound and pinging thing at the end and then it leads us into the next song. And I'm going to let you say that. Grossoli, which I think it translates as glowing soul, S-O-L-E. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a fish or something? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah, maybe, fish, maybe it yeah. was hit with the northern lights as well as glowing. It's just got that dirge, that drum yeah, dirge yeah. going I don't, on. What are they doing there? That doesn't sound like a drum. It sounds like uh, something on a wheel that keeps yeah. slapping every time it comes around. Yeah. No, I, unlike the first song, there is an underlying drone going through this one. Yeah. Uh, and you got then you got those strange effects, and you got um, Yancey's voice yeah, coming first, through. The first, the first time, time you, you really that. get to hear his falsetto going nuts. Uh, there's actually a lot of voices going on on this one, um, and a lot of you, this is where you're kind of getting the the bowed guitars coming in uh, for this, the first time. And this was a single. That was it. Was the single that was uh, released first single? It. I think there were a couple released. Yeah. Um, what happens at the? Uh, I mean, the, the strange thing about this song, and I think Doug, this is what you're talking about. How it's difficult to use this to s study or whatever, because the songs. Nice, it's kind of droney. It's it's got this nice sort of timber to it, and then it gets all hell pretty, it gets pretty insistent. It's, yeah, it reminds me of the requiem of a dream. 
where you you got that refrigerator going nuts. I don't know if you remember that when that lady's on uh, diet medicine and her refrigerator starts attacking her. Oh, but anyway, it's it, it goes that's crazy. pretty obscure. Anyway, <laughs> y'all want to hear the words? Yeah, glowing sun, bright sun. Now that you're awake, everything seems different. I look around, but there's nothing at all. Put on my shoes, I find that she's still in her pajamas. Then found in a dream, I hung by anticlimax. And then there's some stuff about sun and going roaming the streets. So, so the impression of sun coming up was his impression too. Yeah, and obviously those lyrics are. <laughs> not meant to be other anything other than a textual component because they don't really they don't really mean well anything. one thing i can tell you from uh studying biblical greek is that don't judge poetry by the translation right right so yeah. there's so much that you miss um yeah yeah because you don't speak the language right. no, there's there's rhymes there's a Right. A couple of uh, a couple of other things about this song that it's, it, it this, this the time stays the same. They never change time signature, but the drums start going double time. Then they go double time again, and it's just the, the drums on this are really really interesting to me. The drums are frequently not the timekeeper. Yeah, in they're this, not on this yeah. album. Yeah, it's a. Is but there it's, a timekeeper? <laughs> I think what you were calling a drone and some whatever that wheel is going around. Yeah. Yeah. One. Yeah. One. <laughs> Number One. nine. Number so. nine. Turn me on, dead man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim. We got track number three. It looks like Hop Dotty. Hoppy Pol. Hoppy Poloya. Poloya. Hopping into puddles. This is a happy song. This song is pure joy to me. And what kind of joy? Happy, happy, joy, joy. (laughs) This is something that we all lose, but when you're a little kid and it rains, it's magic. I used to go build a dam. I always had to build dams. (laughs) But it's, it's, I can see this kid. He's got his yellow galoshes on and he's... Hopping all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the band had nicknames for all their songs when they were recording them. And this one was called The Money Song, mainly because they thought they'd written something that would have a large commercial success. <laughs> and oddly enough, this song was their largest charting single in the UK. Is number, that right? Hit number 24. Well, it's so, it's so strange. I mean, it starts off with that. There's the, two the pianos. pianos yeah. One's there and they're mic'd differently. Uh, one almost sounds like a tack, you know, like an old timey well, Western piano. Like a toy piano almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it, it, 
the stuff coming, and then those, oh my God, the, the, those strings coming in at the, at the end are just unbelievable. It, it, it's so far now we're only in track three. It's the, it, out of what we've heard so far, the, the one that sounds the most traditionally song-like. Yeah. This well. is the one that really, really grabbed me. Uh, and I saw them play it live, uh, 10 did it years sound ago. the same way? Yeah. They did such a great job of reproducing I just it. I assume that they they don't do that live like they play. Well, they had a, he had a, like a string section behind him, a string quartet behind him. He had a horn Didn't section. Did he talk to the audience much? Uh, not at all. Didn't he didn't it. come out and say, all right, Austin, <laughs> all right, Texas, Austin are Texas. you ready to post rock? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I saw when they did this, I got chills. I mean, I, and, and it, they, it was just, it was beautiful. I mean, it. it, <laughs> it you want to hear the words? Sure. Smiling. Perfect beginning. Mm -hmm. We run in circles. We hold each other's hands. The whole world foggy unless you stand. Wet rain. Everything's rain damp. No rain boots. Well, I blew it with the boots. I said, I saw boots uh, running inside of us. It wants to spring out of a shell. Okay. So, so you're, hopping, and then, you're it, hopping in puddles without foot quality footwear on. Yeah. yeah. Hop in a puddle. It doesn't get cold there, so it's probably not a problem. <laughs> uh, I love how it ends with that, that chiming deal at the uh -huh. very end with those in that horn section, kind of, it just kind of take, taking us out. And, uh, that, that's, uh, I think that's my favorite song on the record, just because I'm a happy guy. I, I think like it's happy. my favorite song on the record too. Uh -huh. And I love. I'm nostalgic for childhood. Well, and it, I think it, it does capture that very, very well. Just absolute joy of being out and and uh, experiencing. Next time it uh, rains, we'll all have to go um, yep. hopping, slogging. <laughs> all uh, right, and that brings so it leads into the next song. So this is basically just a coda to the the puddle song, and I I love that the thing I like the picture that I get in my head is when I was a kid and it was time to go home, but you knew you were going to see each other again, but you knew you're when you got home you were going to you know be in a nice warm house and you were going to get um, cocoa or whatever. What's the name of the song, Jim? It is Mio Blon Nocer. Which means with a nosebleed. But when I had a nose, I didn't give a crap when I had a nosebleed when I was a kid. That was kind of. Well, the, the, you never had to go to the hospital on well, your birthday true, yeah. with a nosebleed like I did. <laughs> so and they uh, kept asking me if I was using cocaine. This, uh, how old were you? Uh, well, 50. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this song has some, I, I don't know what you call it in the digital age. It sounds like backward. With yeah. tape loops. But yeah. There, some, I don't think you call it that in the digital age, do you? I don't know. But I. I Backward, yeah, back masking or back whatever. masking, I guess. Yeah, uh, and it's got some of the. I like how the Glockenspiel comes in and does, and uh, kind of takes over the melody. It's it's a nice little coda to the to the puddle song, and and uh, kind of like reminds me of going home. And then it just kind of ends with with the drums, just everything fades out, and then the drums just hit that last beat. Um, really, really, really cool out. Really cool song to me. Up next, we have track five. 
Celeste. Or I see a train. Yeah, coming round a bend. Just these little sound snippets, as you don't get the full picture. I know, and it's hard to. And, and, and I the find this song, song changes quite a bit. I find this song on. to be the most interesting song on the album. It's a pretty interesting song. It's, it's one, a very popular song. Yeah, it's pretty popular, and it's got weird. It's got a weird time signature but to it's it. It's got the horn section is great in it, yeah. but you don't hear that with what we played. Yeah, what is, um, is this the one with the Oompa Band? Yes. Yeah, it's yeah, got, it's, it's got very the attractive. Yeah, it's yeah. great. I love it. Um, is it true that? These guys want to do an album with Johnny Cash. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. But yeah, I like how it a, starts That's off. almost a nine-minute song. Yeah. And it, it does is. do a lot of changes. It does. It's, I, I, you, if you told me this was three different songs, I would have thought it was three different songs. It starts off with that alien radio kind of thing. Turn, it sounds like they're trying to tune in a radio. And it, it's hey, just, now. Hey, now. Like Starman. And then it starts off with... I saw him do this... One time it was phenomenal. The, the, the starts off with the xylophone and the piano playing together, and um, then it, it just keeps going. And then you have Yonsei's voice just kind of cutting through. I mean, he did it. He actually did it live while he was playing some sort of keyboard. Uh, it's a really, it's a pretty complicated song. There's a lot of parts to it, and um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, parts it's another. Parts. Yep, it's a good song. Uh, I love like. It's probably my second favorite song on the album. It's my second favorite. Yeah. It's, it's it's definitely, like I said, the most interesting. And I guess it's a good thing it's, it's so good. long. It yeah. takes a lot of space. It, it takes does. a lot of space, yeah. And this is a long album. It, it is. is. 65 minutes. That's well, it's a C, the CD age and late yeah. into the CD age where yeah. nobody gave a crap. Yeah. In fact, I don't, they, what was it? Uh, how long was Forbert's album? <laughs> 37 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and it's, this leads into an, uh, another good song. Which is? Seglo Poor Lost at Sea. for the song <laughs> and there's bugs in your ear yeah it, i mean it sound listening to it if you didn't know it was called the scent lost at sea it sounds like somebody floating out in the middle of the ocean and all of a sudden a storm comes yeah, up and yeah. throws them all around it reminded me of it reminded me of the big country song oh. that's also about being lost at sea anyways well, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought it up yeah <laughs> so it's got the, the piano has some sort of delay on it and he's got the, those uh bowed guitars come in on it i mean those are bowed guitars those aren't strings that's that's a bowed guitar making those uh strange sounds um and then you got that just that pounding at one point he just does like a pounding four on the floor kind of thing it's just um 
Yeah, and uh, I think it's just, it's another amazing song. It's got that extended string section coda at the end. So it takes you to so many places. I really like this song. And now we have the longest one on the album. Longest. You, you can pronounce this one, Doug. Milano. Which means? Milan. Yep. You know what this reminds me of? What? And this is my, if you're going to talk about my limited knowledge about this type of music, it's limited to probably Angelo, Angelo Baldamenti, who is, I think that's how you say his name. He's the guy who does the soundtracks to all the Lynch films. Oh, really? Huh. This reminds me of Yeah, I can see that. that. He he would do. Yeah, I can see Um, that. Um, When I listen to it, this is going to sound so cheesy. But I think of reflections of the sun in, in a in a on a pond where the pond's rippling. You can see just like little glimmers of the sunlight popping up. All and you know that's beautiful, Jay. Well, yeah, I've been to Colorado enough where I see that. And to me, you know, we have like, a sun here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's got the same piano riff just over and over again. But it's it's in a, and again it's in kind of a strange time signature. So I think that's what makes it interesting. So anyway, uh, that's the longest song on the album. Yeah, and it's probably one of the. Uh, it doesn't seem to me. It doesn't seem like it's ten minutes long, but it. Uh, time sort of stands still when you're listening to this album. Yeah, it's well, no, I, I was just about to say that the length of these songs is not relevant because. I don't know what song I'm on. Right. right. No, I agree. Uh, yeah. if, if the whole thing blended together, it would be just fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm, I'm supposing that if I were more familiar with it or if I knew what they were talking about, it would matter more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I always like it when songs blend. Yeah, that's your thing. It's, it blend, I mean, these songs do. I mean, you, like you were saying, it's hard for me to say, like, why did they uh turn this part into a song. Why didn't they just turn, you know, why didn't they start mm-hmm. three minutes earlier? You know, so. 13 seconds of silence. We have a song next that I am going to try to pronounce jam. All right. See if you can. Gong. What, what's that mean, Doug? <laughs> well, I looked it up and it means gong. <laughs> Is that a dance song? It's actually, yeah, I didn't. I, uh, it's it's probably the most frenetic song on on the album. I mean, it, it's but it's weird. It starts off with again the part we played is is that's it's my favorite song. It's a good song. It's one of my favorites too. But it starts off with that kind of that string Sounds like section. You're falling. Well, it starts off with you know that Gurky. Who's that guy? That Hungarian composer. 
and you I know what you're talking it. about. He's over there. Yeah. Uh, and our part, Arvo part, it sounds like something that one of those guys would. You could just be making up names to me, and I wouldn't know what the <laughs> hell you're talking about. Well, we've done that before. Yeah. Um, but it's got that. Then that shuffle beat comes in with those drums and just it, try it changes everything. What's What's really interesting is from this point forward, I find this album very interesting. Like I like this part going to the end much better than anything that came before. Not that I dislike that stuff, but I, it's like this is a change. Yeah, and the the songs sound maybe because they sound distinctly different. They from do sound. This is came, yeah. It's like a sea change uh-huh. starting here. Right. There's definitely something different about the last four songs on yeah. this album. Yep. But yeah, I, I really like this one. He 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 doesn't sing in this. Another thing is he doesn't sing in that falsetto a lot of the time on this song. So it, it's it's it it's just you know it, it's a little less. By this time, I'm getting a little tired of his falsetto, so he he seems to not be to to be singing quite. Is as this high a true setto? True set, uh, yeah. Nobody, um, nobody, true setto. Come on, Doug. That was that was great. <laughs> I, I was writing it down. That's why I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, and then there's a guitar part that kind of ends the song, which brings us into the next song, which is which is. Most of the time, when you hear the gong, it's over. Not here. Not here. It's Mm-mm. just beginning. Yeah. And we have... And Vari Which means... is the zephyr. Yep. What is a zephyr? It's a warm wind. And it's a wind. This is a highlight for me. I really like how it builds, even though it never gets crazy. Uh, the strings are just absolutely beautiful on it, and I, I just it. it um, and Yancey's vocals again are very. Uh, he he doesn't get into that falsetto range, and so it's just kind of another nice little reprieve. And again, it's got a weird time signature to it. But. You want to hear what he's saying? Mm-hmm. Sure. You saw the whole. The whole, excuse me. <laughs> you sighed, oh no, oh life. You sighed, all four. You sighed, oh no, you sighed. So, and then it says, I love you. And I love you too. You don't time. love you. You don't know. How, how could you don't know I like you? And then there's a place where the guy checks if it if he does like her or checks if he doesn't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's how it sounds like a junior high yeah. note to the girl you like. <laughs> <laughs> Will you go with me? Yes, no. Yeah. Um, I blew it on one of those in third grade. <laughs> I choked. The, uh, la- and the last two minutes of it are just strings. And when I saw them live uh, the first time, the string section just... They just sat out there and um, played it, and it was, yeah, it was really, it's just, you know, very, I, I love this song. So, What's the next song? <coughs> that sounds really good, Jane. I'm going to declare that correct. So Quietly. Mm-hmm. 
the most electronic sounding of the songs on the album. Um, and it definitely stays, it stays pretty quiet throughout the whole thing. It, but it, to me, it's like the piano, so <laughs> the piano sort of forgets that it's playing with the rest of the band. It's like the piano is playing whatever it wants throughout this whole thing. And he's not, he's not right with the, with the rest of the band, which is one of the things I think makes it really interesting. Uh, and I like Yancey's voice kind of blending in with the strings and his bowed guitar, uh, another very bowed guitar song. Um, it's got that um, distortion on it this time. Anyway, it's a, it's a good, good hunk of meat. I leaned on you in silence and remained still and you. You sang to me so quiet. You sang to me so quiet. In the moonlight I can see you lying face down. In the moonlight you became blue twilight. Translates kind of poetic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, another thing about this song is that it did, the, the drums do do a freak out kind of at the end. By this time I'm getting a little tired of the the drums freaking out, but it doesn't that is last the thing. long. Yeah. I, I did get tired of that too. Yeah. Let, let's just end one with that. Yeah. Well, we well, don't like have I, to do that. Like I said, uh, while the, the songs aren't all the same, there is a definite sameness to this, what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and it does after a while, you're like, okay, I know where this is going to go. Please mm-hmm. don't go there. Please. Don't. Oh, you're going to go there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. And finally, JM. Hi, Satan. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Satan. Hey, Satan, how you doing? That sounds worse than what it means. It's the haystack. haystack. end the album a little bit the way we began it's got kind of those clicking sound effects throughout this song and i I love how the horns come in i think it's a nice way to end the album (laughs) why i wrote that down in my notes as a joke thing to say like what a perfect way to end the album that you said it which i'm sorry i found that funny (laughs) well i'm upset at the use of profanity in this uh, oh there's profanity in it not not just the hailing satan yeah you don't but hey stack had them all come but i struck i struck the glass the glass grassland and there's a word that rhymes with struck that is used oh and ladies and gentlemen here on this buck duck stuck it's used Buck. twice ladies oh, and gentlemen no. so if you have children in your car that speak either oh, <laughs> Hotlandic <laughs> or <laughs> Icelandic. <laughs> Be very careful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not a lot to this one. I mean, it's got a nice little horn arrangement. And Do y'all know what a Massey Ferguson hay wagon is? Nope. nope that is featured in this profanity-laden uh, song. Really? Mm-hmm. Is that some fancy European uh 
Hey, Beller. Wagon? I don't know. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> but, yeah, I like it. Another it's good, good. Yeah. No, I've got a question for you, too. All right. Are the people of Iceland against global warming? I don't know. Because I wouldn't be. <laughs> I live there. <laughs> I, I think, uh, what I understand, and it's very limited understanding, that Iceland is actually not as cold as Greenland is. In if Greenland. I lived in Greenland, I'd be pro-global warming, too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that, um, from what I know, it's... Lots of lots of fish, lots of mountains. Yeah, lots of uh, heated... F- fjords. Are there fjords in... I think there's fjords. My brother's the only person I know who's ever been to Reykjavik, so... Reykjavik? Reykjavik. It's post-Reykjavik. <laughs> <laughs> That's another good one. Uh, <laughs> we will, we will post rock you. Before we go any further, I would like to apologize for the profound ignorance of Iceland that we have demonstrated tonight. <laughs> if you would like to write us and tell us what idiots we are, yeah, I bet we'll read it on the air because we, we deserve we, it. We deserve it. Yeah, we, we do. We deserve we, it. Uh, we apologize for butchering the names and the song titles and. And, this and, is like that time we tried to tell people about California. <laughs> all we have to do is open your door and yell out the front door and yeah, tell us about California. Um, I, I want to. So you know, I, I said we started this off, and I said that it would be easy for someone like me to call this band pretentious. So I want to end that with this. I read an article in the Guardian with them an interview, and uh, the the guy interviewing them says. Uh, reads this quote from an American magazine to uh, the bassist. And again, so Yonzi and, and uh, the bassist. And he yeah. says, uh, this is the quote, describing his angelic falsetto coasts like a hang glider riding the breeze to the edge of the sea. Oh. And the two of them fall off the sofa laughing. <laughs> and Yonzi says, I just don't understand why anyone would even write that. <laughs> Good for him. He goes, the person should hear our sound checks. They are effing crazy. We just play all these big heavy metal songs. Nothing is played straight. So my point is that these guys have a sense of kind of have a sense of humor about the way people see them as this sort of uncategorizable sort of beautiful thing out there, you know, which I I, made me like them a lot more. Well, and uh, if you look at the uh, or catch the NPR interview with them, Mm -hmm. it's it's the most uncomfortable interview. Oh, is that the one where the guy asks them a question and they just sit there in silence? And um, it's like he, he asked him, "What's the process where you like, write a yeah, song? Where, did and you always start uh, off writing well, songs like this?" I sit down and then I write a song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I saw I saw that interview. It's hilarious. It is. They, so they obviously have a sense of humor about this yeah. stuff, which I really I dig that. Um, yeah, they. Yeah. They may uh, sound pretentious, but they don't appear pretentious when no. you uh, see them speaking uh, to people. It's they're, probably they're, their fans that make it worse. Their no. concerts are not pretentious either. I mean, they, they the guys Yonsi's obviously having a, a, a good time on stage. And, and well, they they like they like the drink, evidently. Is that right? Yeah, I'm good for them. Not much I think to do I would too, if I were. But uh, well, that being said, they do encourage certain. Like I tried to watch a documentary about them about their tour of Iceland and it is, it's, 
it's difficult to like get they they do like to wallow in this sort of uncertainty in 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 terms of knowing who they are for the most part. I mean that huh. that doesn't mean they won't do an interview like the one I read or like the one you where they yeah. they kind of take the uh, I don't know this is a family show I was going to say take the piss out of the interviewer but um <laughs> the pee pee <laughs> but uh uh yeah, so they kind of straddle that line. They know where their what side their bread is buttered, mm-hmm. so they don't want to upset people by saying, "Come on, really, hang gliding across the wind? <laughs> Give me a break!" But if I'm, I'm I'm lost when you said their tour of Iceland. <laughs> yeah, they toured Iceland. Well, they did. Uh, they did a con- like a concert film documentary Park. where they go and they play odd like odd places. I think they played. Uh, uh, I, I'm going to get this wrong. I think they like, <laughs> I'm going to get this wrong. Cause it sounds in my head. I'm conflating what it was with a Monty Python skit. I'm sure <laughs> they like played in an old abandoned herring factory or something like that, <laughs> but they did, they play in some factory and they just said, you know, we were playing these odd places. It was very strange, but again, they sort of encouraged that when it's being filled. I think afterwards when they saw how bizarre and goofy it was, they're like, Oh Lord, really? Yeah. Um, so, but they did a concert film recently where they didn't play in front of an audience. They played live, but there wasn't an audience involved because they're like, look, who wants to see a bunch of people clapping and cheering or whatever? We're just performing. And so that's what we did. Hmm. But uh, I don't know. I, oh, that's the other thing I want to say is that this is the longest jam has ever talked. So if somebody can find, there's got to be something. <laughs> well, we somebody still hadn't had a complaint letter on JM yet. Like so. He mispronounced an Icelandic word. He, uh, oh, yeah. I'm sure I've butchered everything. Just try to find something. Yeah, come on, please. We're begging you. <laughs> we Doug, Doug and I need a little ammo. Oh. Yep. So after uh, the band made this album, um, they made another album uh, pretty soon after this that translates as, I'm not going to try to pronounce what it is in Icelandic, but it then translates as, with a buzz in our ears, we play endlessly. Endlessly. Um, which had some good songs on it. It wasn't quite as electronic or droney. I guess the instrumentation was a little more uh, acoustic. I guess there was actually acoustic guitars and stuff on it. Um, it, it had faster tunes on it, but um, it had one standout tune that I, I really, really like, and it's called Ini Mir Signur Fitly Singer, which means... My Nemo. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. <laughs> Within me, a lunatic sings. took a break but they still kind of recorded intermittently um by and they put out an album that translated which is translated as steamroller uh it's more kind of electronic and droney it it borders on like almost dance music in some in some spots it's a little more but it's at the same time it's a little bit more serious they they got he had a little bit the the he brought in kind of a, a bunch of different players to play on it. So Yancey at this point 
is the really the only member of uh, Cigar Rose. Um, it's a little again. It's it's kind of strange. There's more experimentation going on. Some of it doesn't work quite as well. But this is odd. I saw them at this time. This is when the he was basically Yancey and a whole bunch of uh, session guys joining him on tour. Um, he didn't play very much at all from this from that album. So it got um, yeah. So there there was by this time Yancey was just kind of. Uh, he was Seeger Roos at that, at that point. So, um, he really didn't do much. There hasn't really been much activity with, um, Seeger Roos until recently. They just went back on tour and, um, with most, I think most of the original members, the, the, with the keyboardist, the original keyboardist that they had and the original drummer. And when I saw him again, it was just, they, they, they all played so many different instruments that the keyboardist and the drummer played horns keyboard. The drummer was playing keyboards at different times. John C was playing all sorts of different instruments. So uh, they're, and supposedly they're getting back together, but um, during this, the 10, there's been kind of 10 years of absence of, of Seeger Rose and Yancey made this album with a guy by the name of Alex Summers. I think they were actually, um, a couple for a while. Um, but he made a, a, an album that's much more the, an album with him. That's much more kind of atmospheric. And, uh, um, I guess you could say more like, it reminds me of Brian Eno and one of the songs that's been kind of featured. I've heard it. You might've heard it in, in movies and stuff is something called Indian summer. kind of sounds like atmospheres and, and soundtracks to me by by brian eno but it, it yeah so he's doing much more he was much more into that kind of ambient uh music with with uh alex summers but it yeah so like i said they're supposed to seagrass is supposed to be getting back together that after that tour they decided they were going to make a, a new album and i think the album's supposed to come out this year so i think they're back on tour somewhere in europe but they should be coming out with an album pretty soon well, Jim, that's very good. I can definitely say you broke new ground yeah. for This Is Vinyl Tap with that album. Well, thanks. I guess that's good. We'll find out. <laughs> 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 this is the part of... We, we, just want, we just care that you download it for two minutes. No, no, it doesn't have to be two minutes. Maybe 30 seconds? Well, I just hit it and say, God, these guys are horrible, and then go about their business. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, and also Neil Young. Um, <laughs> now we got to tag it, though. we got to tag it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, we are now going to review this record or give our impressions of it. And I'm going to start with T because T is not Jonathan J.M. Rowe or me. T. Yeah. We do two reviews. We're going to have a 
personal review from the heart, and then we have the cold-hearted critic review, where we just say what we think without regard to our personal opinions. Uh, I, you know what? I don't know what to do with this, critically, because I don't... You um, can copy me. Uh, I guess I can. I, I, cause it's so outside my wheelhouse, this music, I don't listen to this kind of music. I'm prepared for this tea. Okay. And I'm going to tell go, you something. Let's go with you first. I'm, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> I want you to imagine that you live on one of Neptune's moons. Okay. And you accidentally Can we make it Jupiter's cause I actually sure. know the names of those. Yeah. All 16. Well, some um, of them. Europa. I'm on Europa. All right. You're on Europa. Okay. Make no attempt, no landing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Hal. <laughs> the, uh, you accidentally show up at the Olympics on the, in the United States of America and they're running short of judges and they ask you to judge the high dive. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Only one. Uh-huh. You're only going to judge one high dive. Okay. That's the situation we're in. We don't have other high dives to compare it to. We don't have histories with other similar types of music to compare it to. And I decided a long time ago that my rating on a critical level, my critical critics rating is N-A. Okay. I like that. I can't. I'm out of my depth. I don't know what I'm talking about. I have nothing to compare well, it to. Because there's two options. Either you're blown away by somebody jumping into the water and you give it an immediate 10. Wow, 10. he didn't die. Yeah. <laughs> or you just, as you said, you have nothing to compare it to. So you're just like, okay. Um, I, I like that because it's, it's this is diff- critically, it's difficult for me to, to assess this. Because oh, it's, like it's not Japanese it's, opera music. I'm going to make a dis. I'm going to. Talk about that as a critic. It's laughing, laughable. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, but you I, can do your heart. I can. Because our hearts so, speak the truth. You know, I, I typically, uh, out taking the progressive rock out of the, pull it up and chunk it aside. I like to have some sort of connection to the music I listen to. This music is pretty. It's interesting. It's compelling. But it's hard for me to have any sort of personal connection to it because it's so outside of what I listen to. Um, so again, I, I admire what's going on here. I'm, I'm amazed at some of the, the sort of visual things that popped in my head, listening to the music. I, it's, it's unusual for me to hear something and have like an image immediately pop in. And I think they know what they're doing. If all three of us had similar experiences with that. Um, but I, I don't know how much I will listen to this album again. And I don't want to knock it and have people screaming at me because I'm a jerk because I say I'm not going to listen to it and give it a poor rating because it really is hard for me to categorize it. I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a three because if it came on, I wouldn't go, Oh, mm-hmm. you know, I don't feel the same way about this as I do about the talking heads. <laughs> now you got people that are going to yell at you. That's fine. Um, mainly, I think one of the reasons why is because I think if somebody had read to David Byrne the thing about the hang gliding, he wouldn't fall off the couch laughing. Mm-hmm. He would think, yeah, that's right on, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I like that about these guys. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to give it a three. It, it may change. I don't know how often I'll listen to this. Um, I feel like this is something I'd have to be in the mood to listen to. So, yeah, I, you know, three's not bad, guys. I think it's hard to figure out when I would listen to it. Uh, 
but I did. I went on a long walk today and listened to it the whole time, and I really enjoyed it. And it was perfect for that. It wasn't in the foreground, but it made a great companion for the walk. Uh, so I suppose I'll be listening to it like that again. I, I think I give this a, I'd give it a three seven personally, and a lot of that is intellectual. Uh, I'm, I'm just very curious. Uh, I never felt like I listened to the same album twice because That's there's a valid point. There's yeah. so much, so much that you miss each time. There's there's too much bandwidth for your ears and your head to catch it. Uh, these guys are doing something new. They're doing something clever. Doing something They're doing post. something impressive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, this kind of music, I can't tell how good of musicians they are. I can't tell how good they are at writing um, lyrics, but I'm impressed with the, the creating part. The, the creation is, is impressive to me. Now we'll go to Jonathan J.M. Rowe. Hmm? And yet, and yet, <laughs> we'll go to Jonathan Jamra. All right, so I'm going to go with my co cold hearted uh, critics rating first. And you, I, you know, I I do feel a little strange talking about it, um, but I do listen to a lot of this kind of music. I, you know, I oh, we there. know. Uh, yeah. you don't need to tell us, Jamra. Okay, um, it's ethereal. It's got some really interesting use of instruments. It's got strange chords. It's got strange time signatures. Um, what it doesn't have is a lot of variety. I'm going to have to say that. Um, I, and I think that brings this album down a little bit as, as far as a critic for me. Um, by the time that it's done as a critic, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it being done. Um, I think it could have been shorter, uh, not just in the number of songs, because there's only 11 songs on this, but I think some of the songs themselves could have actually been, been shorter. Um, so, and I, and I rarely say that about a song, I, you know, uh, I usually just like songs, I judge songs by themselves, but there's just points where I think that he could have actually just kind of toned this down a little bit. Uh, not the ethereal parts, the, the beginnings or the ends didn't have to last as long. So as a critically, I'm going to give it a four two, but personally, I had never heard anything like this before. It it immediately grabbed me. I mean, it's most ambient albums to me um, are. I'm I'm usually a pretty tough critic on them because I find them most of them to me are just boring and drony. And but this this album captures me from the start. Uh, the, the sounds are other, almost otherworldly to me. Uh, and I, I, sometimes I just can't believe they're actually made by humans. Um, and it's not just the, the instrumentation. It's just the actual sounds that are coming through. Uh, I just don't even know how you think. It, to me, it's just so creative how they came up with just the, the ethereal sounds that they came up with. Uh, in that sense, it, sh it shares a lot with one of my favorite albums of all time, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot by... Wilco. Uh, <laughs> um, Tony, do you want to redo your writing? <laughs> no, I, I, yeah. um, I, I, but it, it's sonically, it's so like sonically that. interesting to me. And I, I really, that's, that's something that I just, I'm always, if a sound, if I'm just intrigued by a sound, that's, that's to me, um, intriguing. Yeah. Yeah. 
Ethereal. Yeah. Um, I listen to this album frequently, uh, especially when I'm not in the the best of moods. Um, this album gives me immense joy. So personally, for me, it's a four eight. Uh, it'd be a five if some of the songs were shorter. That's all right. Thank you, Jonathan J. Amro. At this time, ladies and gentlemen, we usually go to Tony for a recommendation. But Tony said he wanted the week off. So we're going to go to Jonathan J.M. Rowe for his recommendation of something weird to match his pick tonight. <laughs> yeah, this comes under the uh, we're not worthy uh, in the category. Um, for anyone that uh, knows me, you know I'm a, I'm a big uh, Brian Eno fan, but he has a brother. Uh, a younger brother and uh, Roger Eno, and he is a little bit more of a skilled musician. Um, he sometimes plays with with Brian Eno, but um, he's much different, and he's more like a real musician. He's actually schooled in the euphonium, which is like a, a small, um, like a small tuba. But anyway, he released an album last year called "The Turning Year," and uh, it's actually been released on Deutsche Gramophone. So that means that it's, that's not usually a, a, uh, a classical, classical uh, label, yeah, label with a pretty yellow <laughs> yes, seal. A emblem on it. Yeah. Um, and it's done with this string section from uh, Berlin and it's, it, it's like a 10 or 12 piece string section and it's got, um, you know, uh, Roger, Eno playing piano. He's an excellent pianist as well. Um, he's really been prolific as an artist, but he, he's not very well known. Um, and I guess because his brother, he tends to do more serious music and, and his brother Brian tends to do more. I mean, he's produced everyone from the Talking Heads to Coldplay to U2. Um, he no, I mean, he's much more kind of entrenched in the, in the business than his brother is. Um, and to that, this album is a little bit more serious, but I absolutely love the string arrangements on it. Um, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is because it does, the string arrangements do remind me a lot of Talk, the album we just talked about. The highlights are the title track, The Turning Year. called uh, Hope, which actually has a little bit of synthesizer in it. And then um, there's one that I really like called On the Horizon, which actually has a clarinet in it. Again, it's another album where I'd like talk. I think it's a it's beautiful, but it, again, it's not mournful. 
Uh, it's just a, a really nice, really nice album. So I highly recommend it. Thank you very much, JM, for that recommendation of stuff about which we are not worthy. At this time, I want to turn it over to Jonathan JM Rowe so he can get us out of here. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to this edition of This Is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always go to 11. Send us an email at tappingvinyl at gmail.com, or you can visit our Facebook group page, uh, or wherever you get us on your uh, podcasting platform, please leave us a review or some stars. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. love to know how we're doing. Uh, we'd love to know what you think. And if you have any albums that you would like for us to dissect in the future in an upcoming episode, please, please get in touch with us. And finally, for the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our website where you can find ways to contact us and you can let us know what we think, what you think of our uh, recent podcast. You'll get all sorts of good stuff up there, including links to past episodes, videos of performances, uh, rare performances, news clippings, links to recommendations that we've made. Uh, if you want the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our webpage. What Tapping, is our webpage? Oh, it's www.tappingvinyl.com. Next week, we're going to be looking at an album by Nick Drake, a singer-songwriter from England. His, his last album from 1972, Pink Moon. For our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, this is Vinyl Tap for all the podcasts go to 11. And hey, thanks. <laughs>